Hi, my name's Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now, after three years, five flight instructors, and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now, I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot, and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way Part-Time Pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the Part-Time Pilot audio ground school podcast hey what's up pilots this is nick i wanted to take a second and talk about the ultimate private pilot test prep book now we don't have a ton of reviews yet on amazon but a lot of people have gotten it and we have a lot of good feedback from it and the reason why is because it blows out all those other test prep books out of the water right If you've gotten a test prep book before, it's got a bunch of FA written test questions. It's good for that. It's good for that rote memorization, practicing those test problems and stuff. But if you want to learn beyond that, it might have some bullet point summaries of some of the subjects. It might tell you some tips on multiple choice test strategies, but that's about it, right? So what if you want to learn this stuff at a fundamental level? What if you want to go deeper on any of these topics because you're just not getting these topics? And The reason I made this is because we don't have anything physical and I myself am someone who really likes to study with something physical in my hands. I like to take it with me to the beach, to the park, when I'm traveling, whatever. So I wanted to make a book unlike any of the other books. So that's what I did with the Ultimate Private Pilot Test Prep. So how is it different? Well, it's got all those test questions just like the other books. It covers every single subject just like the other books, but it breaks things down and explains all the concepts in simple English. And then you add in diagrams and visual aids that those books do not have. And then you also add in QR codes. You know, those little QR codes that you scan to bring up a menu that came around during COVID. So yeah, you can do that with your mobile device, your iPad, whatever, and it'll bring up a video lesson on what you're watching. We also have a bunch of QR codes in there for free downloads, as well as free practice tests that come with the book. So it's on Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's only 37 dollars and it's got literally everything you guys that's why it's the ultimate test prep book it's the best bet you can get for one single book when you're studying for your private pilot test so check it out hello hello and welcome my name is nick smith i'm the host and creator of Part-Time Pilot, and this is the Audio Ground School podcast. In today's episode, we're going to continue on with our lessons on cross-country planning, and that specifically is going to be in Section 12 on cross-country planning in our online ground school, and that's going to be Lesson 12. We're going to continue off. We just finished Lesson 11 a couple episodes ago, so Lesson 12 is going to be calculating airspeed during cruise and descent, And then lesson 13 will be ground speed and magnetic heading. I think we might get to lesson 13. I'm not sure because that one is a bit of a bigger one. So we're almost done. Let's recap kind of what we've done so far on the cross-country planning because we're kind of building a cross-country nav log in our heads through these lessons. We do examples in each of these lessons. 
and we're slowly getting all the information in our nav. Starting with lesson one of section 12, you know, we talked about how to plot your course. Lesson two, we talked about what information we need. Lesson three, we chose our checkpoints and altitudes. So in our nav log, we're starting to write out checkpoints and different altitudes that we want to be at and fly at at those checkpoints. Then we found the distance between those checkpoints and a total distance, total cumulative distance. So we know our total distance again, going along in different columns in our nav log. Each row is a checkpoint and then each column is one of these types of data. So the next one we do, we estimated fuel needed in lesson five. This doesn't go in our nav log, but it's important to do that prior to doing all the, this other work, because if you need a fuel stop, you'll have to then do the whole flight plan again if you didn't plan for that fuel stop. So we wanna estimate the fuel needed to see if we might need a fuel stop. Lesson six, we measured our courses. So we measured true courses. We found the isogonic line to get our variation and then calculated magnetic courses. So we have true course and magnetic course in our nav log. Then we gathered all our winds and temperatures for you know takeoff, landing, and in cruise flight. And then we determined, so we started to do performance calculations. So we determined our distance to climb to our cruise altitude and our distance to descend to our landing destination traffic pattern altitude. That allowed us to know how long it's gonna take us to climb, how long it's gonna take us to descend, so we can plan our checkpoints accordingly. Then we reviewed air speeds because we're gonna to need to know what all the different air speeds are to be able to calculate them. It's like true airspeed and ground speed. So we reviewed all those in lesson 10. Then in lesson 11, we started calculating true airspeed during climb. And we told you that, you know, we're going to calculate true airspeed differently in climb than we are in cruise and descent because in climb, we target an indicated airspeed. So we'll start with indicated airspeed to get to a true airspeed. But in cruise and descent, we're usually going to target a engine power setting or RPM. So we'll start with that. We'll use our cruise performance chart to get a true airspeed and then we'll we'll go from there. So that's what we're going to work on today is calculating true airspeed during cruise and descent. So all those checkpoints that are cruise and descent, that's what we're going to focus on today, finding the true airspeed. And from there, we can go on to ground speed and then magnetic heading or ground speed and wind correction angle to get to our magnetic heading. Okay, so before we get started, I want to read off a few reviews that we got. Remember, if you leave us a review at either trustpilot.com, just type in part-time pilot and it'll show up and you can leave us a review. Or on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave us a rating on Spotify. I think they're starting to allow reviews maybe on Spotify. Maybe I'll have to check that out. I have Apple Music. I don't use Spotify, but if you want to leave a review on there. But if you leave one on Trustpilot or Apple Podcasts, I will read it on the show. So let's read a couple new ones that we got. This one is from Jeffrey Kerr on Trustpilot. Five stars says part-time pilot training fits your schedule. The ability to cover ground school while driving, working, or even walking is great. And it covers all the areas in ground school in a way that is easy to listen to and understand. So again, he's obviously talking about the podcast. He's not reading those lessons while, while driving. That would be dangerous. But yes, thank you, Jeffrey. I'm glad you like the podcast episodes and the audio lessons. Again, in the online ground school, you get all the podcast episodes, but without all the ads or, you know, like this part of it, you just get the lessons. So if you want to just get straight to it, that's in the online ground school. So thank you, Jeffrey. That is a fantastic review. The next one is from Matt have in quotation marks <laughs> five star. Just want to say thank you. Just want to say thank you for the awesome VOR videos in the online ground school. There are so many out there and most do not describe reverse sensing well. The live animation was great. 
I am not flying yet, so it's been a hard concept to grasp. Thank you. Well, thank you, Matt. And yeah, I'm glad you are liking those videos. And I'm glad your people are noticing those animation videos. We've been slowly, you know, when I first started out, it was just me and like PowerPoint or a whiteboard or me drawing on, you know, some whiteboard tool on my computer. But as we've gotten bigger, as we've, you know, grown, as I've gotten smarter about how to make videos, I've started to incorporate some animated videos more and more, especially on the lessons that need those visual aids. So I'm glad people are noticing those and appreciate the review, Matt. Thank you so much. All right. We got one from Apple Podcasts says, great podcast, five stars. This is from JJJ Ialk. Great podcast, five stars. Great information that's presented in an easy to understand way. All right, so that is short and sweet, but I nevertheless appreciate that. Thank you, JJIL. And that is the reviews for today. Again, remember, Apple Podcasts or Trustpilot.com. Search Part-Time Pilot, leave us a review, and I'll read it out here on the show. All right, and for our next segment, if you've been following along, you know that we're doing, we're reading some reviews, and then we're going to take some listener questions, and we'll get these either emailed to us at team at parttimepilot.com. So if you have a question, just reach out to us again via email at team at parttimepilot.com or on Instagram at part period time period pilot or TikTok at part period time period pilot. Or you can join our Facebook study group and ask the question in there. So that's a couple items from here. One's not really a question, but just sort of an update for you guys. And that is that I added a new download to the bonus course, the bonus downloads course inside the online ground school. And that is a sort of accumulation of all the private pilot acronyms that we use in the course or that you might hear as a private pilot. Did I get everything? Probably not. So if you are listening right now, please go and download that again to search my courses and look for the bonus online ground school downloads and video vault course. Scroll down to all your downloads. You know, you got the Ultimate Private Pilot Test Prep Book download, that PDF download, $37 value. Your flashcards updated for 2023. You know, equations to remember for the written exam, testing supplements, all that checklist, all that stuff. But I just added, it's third on the list now, Private Pilot Acronym and Mnemonic Guide. So if I miss any acronyms or any that you know of, please let me know and I'll add them to the list. It'll only help everybody else. And then for the mnemonics, so it also has the acronyms and what they mean, but also mnemonics. So mnemonic device is something that helps you remember by making it a rhyme or like a story or, or an acronym or something like that. So that's a mnemonic. And we use them all the time in pilot training because there's so much stuff we got to remember. So I've come up with some of my own. There's some that are widely used, you know, like a tomato flames or something like that. So all those are in there that I know. I know there's more of them out there. So again, if you look through that and you say, oh, this one's not on there, please reach out to us. Again, team at parttimepilot.com and let us know what that is. We'll, we'll add that to the list and let it so that everybody can see that. So really, really, I think helpful tool, especially when it's time to start memorizing all the stuff before the written exam. And you can use those mnemonic devices to help you do that. So the question that we have in the Facebook study group is one about turns with wind correction. So it's an FA written type question. I think I may have come up with it myself, but we've seen it asked on the FA written exam. And it says, while well, in a left hand traffic pattern for runway 14 and winds from 140 degrees at 10 knots, 
you begin to turn from your downwind leg to your base leg. What type of turn should be made to maintain a rectangular pattern and straight base leg? So this kind of combines a couple things. One, it combines you have to visualize, you know, the direction of the runway and the direction of the wind in comparison. And then you also have to visualize your traffic pattern, which it says a left-hand traffic pattern. So you have to visualize if you're in a left-hand traffic pattern and you're turning from what type of turn should be made to maintain a rectangular pattern and straight base leg. So you're turning, you know, onto the base leg. So the downwind to base to final. So we want to, what I would do is I would just draw this out. So draw the runway again, runway 14. That means 140 magnetic heading. That's the direction we're going to be landing in for runway 14. So that's 140. So that's, we're going to be landing to the Southeast. Uh, 140 and the winds are from 140 this is where the this student got confused and there's actually a few students that got confused it's totally common to get confused about this that's why i thought it was such a good question for the podcast here so runway 14 that means we're landing in the direction of 140 winds from 140 at 10 winds are always reported in the direction that they're coming from so they're coming from the southeast so if we're landing in the direction of 140 and winds are coming from 140, we're going to be landing with a direct headwind. So now we want to look at where will those winds be when we're coming down our downwind and then we turn to base and then we turn to final. And then how should we correct ourselves based off those winds to keep that rectangular pattern. So it also combines, you know, knowing where the wind's coming from, what the pattern looks like, all that with you know turns around a point fundamentals and when you have a, a crosswind how do you maintain that consistent radius in a you know in a circle or in a rectangular pattern so we're landing in the direction of 140 so our final our final leg of the traffic pattern is going to be in the direction of 140 which is straight into the wind our downwind is actually going to be directly out of the wind so going to have a direct tailwind so we're going to be traveling downwind parallel to the runway in the direction of the reciprocal of 140 which is if you just add 180 that would be the, the opposite runway direction right which would be 320 so runway 32 we'd be traveling at in the heading of 320 on our downwind and having a direct tailwind the wind's going to be directly behind us and so when we turn to base we're going to make a left turn to base during the base leg we're going to have a direct crosswind so we're going to want to turn more than 90 degrees from downwind to base so that we're crabbed into the wind so that we don't get pushed off, right? Because if, if our, so our downwind is in the direction of 320, our base would then be 90 degrees from that. So that would be, sorry, let me think here, 320 and then 90 degrees less than that, so 230. So in the direction of 230, that's our base. So we're going downwind on 320. We turn to a heading of 230, kind of confusing with the twos and threes, but we turn 90 degrees to 230. If we just maintain that 230 heading, that crosswind is going to push us further away from the runway and off that rectangular pattern. So we want to turn more than 90 degrees, right? So that we're kind of crabbed or turned ailerons into the wind, kind of fight that wind pushing us so we can maintain that rectangular pattern on base. Then we'll turn into final when we get to the center line. 
to the heading of 140, which will then be a headwind and we'll have no problem landing in that headwind. So this is a great question. And I think the answer options on this were, the one that was correct was, you'll have the steepest bank, which is more than 90 degrees, when you turn to base to position your aircraft with a bank into the wind. So just like we talked about. So you just wanna visualize what that pattern is gonna look like, draw it out and where that wind's gonna be. And if you have that crosswind, then you're gonna to wanna to bank into the crosswind in order to keep that rectangular pattern. All right, so great question. Takes a, a lot of skills, a lot of visualization. So again, draw it out if you can't visualize that. And again, if you're not in the Facebook study group, we had a bunch of drawings on this posted and it's really, really helpful. So go in and check that out. All right, that's enough of that stuff. Let's get to the lessons. Like I said earlier, we are on. So if you go to my courses, step one, private pilot online ground school lessons, that's going to be the course. That's all the bulk of the lessons. And then section 12 on cross-country planning. And we are on lesson 12, calculating airspeed during cruise and descent. So let's get to it. Next up, we're going to calculate true airspeed for the cruise and descent phases of flight. Again, we're going to combine those. We're going to say that descent is the same as cruise, but we're just going to have a little bit of a difference in how we calculate true airspeed because we're going to have different power settings in cruise and descent. So it will be different. But the way we do it is the same. We're not going to do it, you know, either of these phases of flight like we did in climb, right? Climb, we target an indicated airspeed. So we're going to start with indicated airspeed to get to true airspeed like we did in the last episode. But for cruise and descent, the way we do them is the same. The charts we use are going to be the same. So to do this, we use the cruise performance charts from the AFM. That's the approved flight manual or POH pilot operating handbook for your aircraft. You want to make sure it's the approved one that's with your aircraft. So that you have the most up-to-date charts or tables for this type of data. Most flight manuals will have multiple cruise performance charts. One is usually called best power cruise performance, and there is usually one called best economy cruise performance. The difference between the two is the setting of the mixture ratio. In the best economy cruise performance chart, the curves assume that as you climb, you are decreasing the amount of fuel in your mixture to match the decrease in air molecules. Again, that's because as altitude increases, the air density decreases, so that's less air molecules, in order to be more fuel efficient when you, while you fly. So the best economy cruise performance chart assumes that as you climb, right, there's less air, so our fuel to air mixture ratio is gonna be more heavy on the fuel side. It's gonna be fuel rich as we climb because higher altitudes are less air, but we haven't changed our fuel yet. So the fuel to air ratio is higher on the fuel side. So the best economy cruise performance chart assumes that we adjust our fuel mixture to lower it to match the amount of air up at the higher altitudes. So that gives you the most, the best economy, the best fuel economy for your flight when you do that because you're not wasting any fuel or the amount of power that you need up at that altitude. The best power cruise performance assumes that you don't care about that as much and you just want to get the best power output rather than the best economy. So those are the differences between those two charts. In a long cross country, maintaining good fuel economy may be critical. However, in shorter cross countries through multiple airspaces and high traffic areas, pilot may not care about fuel economy as much. No matter which chart or table you use, the same procedure should be followed to determine the true airspeed at each checkpoint. Now I use the best power chart because it matches the conservative assumptions that I will use for my fuel calculations. It is always to be better better to be conservative and have more fuel rather than less fuel. 
This way, when I have all these baked in conservativisms, I don't know what word I'm trying to look for there, but when I have, you know, all these different ways I'm being conservative in my calculations, end of the day, I'm going to have some extra fuel that I, you know, didn't really plan for. And that is a good thing, right? You never want to have less fuel than you plan for. You always want to have kind of extra fuel. So that's, again, why I use best power. There are several ways to use the charts and information available to a pilot in order to calculate engine performance and true airspeed. By no means is the way I'm about to describe the best or the only way, but it has worked for me and this is what I teach my students. The following procedure uses a known target RPM that you plan to fly at. Most pilots I know fly by RPM during different phases of flight, especially cruise and descent. So in climb, it's full throttle, but then you pitch for an indicated airspeed, right? So it was, we're targeting an indicated airspeed, so it made sense to calculate true airspeed from indicated airspeed. But in cruise and descent, we don't really target an indicated airspeed. We more so target a power setting. So usually, like for a Piper Cherokee Warrior, you got about 2,500 during cruise, 2,000 during initial descent. And then as you come into approach and landing, that gets lower and lower. And we use this in order to determine a rated power percentage for the engine. Then we can use this engine power setting percentage to find the true airspeed at cruise. So here is the procedure. Engine performance chart to obtain power setting percentage. To use the cruise performance chart, we will need the pressure altitude, temperature, and power setting of the aircraft. So our goal is to use the cruise, the best power cruise performance chart that I mentioned above. And to use that, we need the pressure altitude, temperature, and power setting. Well, we already have pressure altitude and temperature in our nav log, but now we need the power setting or the percent of power that we're going to be using. So to get that, we're going to need to use the engine performance chart from our POH or AFM. So we got to use that chart first, get that power setting percentage, then we can use that to the cruise performance chart. So pressure altitude and temperature we already have recorded. Again, I just said that. But power setting, we will need to use another chart. The engine performance chart can be found in the AFM POH for your aircraft. Find the temperature of your checkpoint on the bottom axis and drive vertical line up until you reach the altitude of your checkpoint. Pressure altitude. Again, this is just like every other chart that you kind of use. You match a temperature with a pressure altitude to convert to density altitude, and then you move to the right of the chart to determine what you want. So at the altitude where the temperature you know, meets our altitude, draw a horizontal line to the far right of the chart. Now find the RPM you plan to fly during cruise. For me in the Cherokee Warrior, it's 2,500 on the right side of the bottom axis. So we're gonna draw that line over until we find our RPM that we plan to use. Then we're gonna draw a vertical line up from the RPM value on the, the lower X axis until it intersects with the horizontal line we just drew. So where that vertical line for RPM that we plan to use intersects our horizontal line over from our temperature and altitude intersection, we're gonna have a new intersection point between these two lines. At this intersection point, estimate the rated power by interpolating between the diagonal lines for each setting. Now you don't have to whip out the actual interpolation equation, you can just eyeball it. There's gonna be lines for like 55%, 65%, and 75%. At least that's what it has for my Cherokee Warrior. So if, right, if your intersection is right smack between the 55% and 65% lines, then you can estimate 60%, you know? And then you just kind of eyeball it. If it's a third of the way between 55% to 65%, then okay, it's 3% away from 55. So it's about 
58, 59%. So you can just eyeball it, you know, use kind of linear interpolation with your eyeballs to figure out what that power setting is going to be. Now we're going to record that power setting in our cross country nav log under the power setting column. So we'll make a new column called power setting for all the checkpoints. And we're going to do this calculation using this engine performance chart to figure out what that is going to be. Now for cruise, you're going to have the same cruise altitude and you're going to have the same targeted RPM for all these checkpoints. So you only have to do it once and then fill it in for all those cruise checkpoints. And then for descent, right, you're going to use an RPM of 2000. So you're going to do this again. And then for each checkpoint and descent, you're going to have to do this again and again, right? So because you're changing altitude. So you're going to have a temperature and altitude for each checkpoint during descent. And then you're going to line that up with 2000 RPM or whatever RPM you target during your descent and then come up with that engine power setting. So it'll change at each checkpoint during descent. This is another reason why we calculated the distance to descend so that we could just have, you know, we could start our descent right when we reach a checkpoint. So we have not as many, you know, maybe we just have one checkpoint at max during our descent. So we don't have to do so many calculations, right? Okay. So repeat this procedure for each checkpoint until we have the power setting percentage for each checkpoint on cruise and descent. So now that we have that percentage, we're going to use a cruise performance chart to obtain our true airspeed. So we have our power setting and we can now use that cruise performance, the best power cruise performance chart, or if you want to use best economy, again, just remember the differences. The best economy means we're adjusting our fuel mixture ratio to be the most efficient. Uh, whichever one you use, just make sure you do that actually in flight so that it's accurate. I use best power cruise again to be conservative with my fuel calculations. I think that's the safest way to do things. All right. So now we're going to use that chart. And then for your checkpoint, we're going to, again, find the temperature on the left side of the bottom axis, draw a vertical line up, just like we've always done with all these performance charts until we reach that checkpoint's pressure altitude. At this altitude, we're going to draw a horizontal line all the way to the right of the chart. Again, nothing's changed. And then we're going to draw a diagonal line until it meets the horizontal line just drawn at the estimated location of your engine power percentage. Estimate the location of the line, this diagonal line that we're going to draw using the existing power setting lines for reference. For example, if your engine power setting is 67%, then you are 2% above the 65% line and 8% below the 75% line. Or in other words, you're 2 tenths or 1 fifth of the way to the 75% line from the 65% line. And you can eyeball or measure what 1 fifth of the distance between the two lines would be. Just like in the previous chart, we have lines, you know, for the Piper Cherokee Warrior, we have 55%, 65%, 75%. So again, you're just going to want to, if your power setting that we just calculated is 67%, we're just going to eyeball sort of a new line between 65 and 75% where we think 67% would go, just a linear interpolation with our eyeballs. We'll draw that diagonal line and where that diagonal line meets our horizontal line, we have that new intersection point. From that intersection point, we draw a straight line down to the x-axis where our true airspeed can be read off. One note is be sure to look for any notes on the chart that may discuss a correction needed for your final calculation. For example, the Cherokee Warrior chart has a note that says subtract seven knots if wheel fairings are not installed. Wheel fairings are shrouds placed around the wheels to reduce drag and be more aerodynamic. The warrior I fly and what I 
always flown in training all my training aircraft did not have these so i would subtract seven knots from my final true airspeed because it does not have these wheel fairings so look for any notes like that to where you might have to adjust your final answer so we're going to record this true airspeed in the true airspeed column of our for our checkpoint in our cross-country nav log and then repeat this procedure for each checkpoint again for all our cruise checkpoints we should be at the same altitude with the same temperature and the same power setting percentage so we probably only have to do that once for all those because the answer is not going to change then we'll have to do all these for our descents right where we have different power settings for each descent checkpoint different altitudes and temperatures stuff like that so each descent checkpoint we'll have to do this again so yeah as a final note for this section i want to discuss the situation in which a flight pan requires multiple climbs so for example the aircraft climbs from its departure airport to an altitude of only 3,000 feet so that it can stay below a class bravo airspace until clear of the airspace then once it's cleared the aircraft climbs to its final cruise altitude of 6,500 feet and this is instance the cross-country planning gets a little trickier because you have two climbs and two cruise sections right however if you make sure that you have a checkpoint at the start of each climb and a checkpoint at the end of each climb it'll make things much easier on yourself to calculate so you can clearly have divisions of climb and cruise so you know on the checkpoints and climb we're going to target an indicated airspeed to get us a true airspeed like we did in the last episode for our sections of our flight that are cruise we're going to use our best power cruise performance and engine performance charts to come up with our true airspeed all right so we should have our true airspeed for all our cruise and descent checkpoints now and now we can with all our true airspeeds we can get into calculating our ground speed but before we go ahead and move on doing that i want to do a ex couple examples uh, one is just going to be an example using the, the Cherokee Warrior charts. And then one is going to be an example using the table that you might find on the private pilot written exam. So let's get into these examples right now. All right, so let's get into these examples. So the next step, right, is to find the true airspeed for the rest of our flight, cruise and descent. However, since we rarely target an indicated airspeed during cruise, but rather we target engine RPM, we cannot use our E6B to find true airspeed. We must use our cruise performance charts. One of the inputs we will need for our cruise performance charts is engine power setting that we plan to fly. In order to get this setting from an engine RPM we, so we can target, we can use engine performance chart. So similar to cruise speed and climb performance, the engine performance is also dependent on atmospheric conditions. The engine performance chart is used to convert a target RPM into an engine power setting percentage at any non-standard or standard altitude temperature combination. For this example, let's assume the following conditions during our flight from checkpoints four to seven, number so four, five, six, and seven, we're gonna be in cruise and we're gonna have a, we're gonna target an RPM of 2,500 RPM. We're gonna have a outside air temperature of two degrees Celsius and a cruising pressure altitude of 8,500 feet. With this information, we can determine the engine power setting for our fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh checkpoints. And we will determine it to be 62%. But how do we do that? Well, if you're in the ground school, we have a picture of the engine performance chart and we have each step labeled one, two, three, and four with all the lines drawn and everything. But I will briefly describe it here on the podcast. 
But if you're following along, and which I highly recommend you do, go look in that lesson. Again, we're in section 12 of course for step one, private pilot ground school, section 12, cross country planning and lesson 12. So step one, you're gonna find the temperature at the checkpoint altitude. So which is two degrees Celsius and draw a straight line up to the pressure altitude at checkpoint, which is 8,500. So where that two degree line, vertical line intersects our 8,500 diagonal line for pressure altitude. We're gonna, at that intersection point, we're gonna draw a horizontal line all the way to the right of the chart. Now we're gonna find, in step three, we're gonna find the target RPM, which is for our cruise, which is 2,500 on the bottom axis on the right side, engine speed RPM. So we look for 2,500. We draw a straight line up just like we did for temperature. And where that intersects our horizontal line that we drew all the way across the chart in step two, where that intersection happens, that's going to be our engine power setting. So we're just going to have to sort of interpolate with our eyes what that value would be. Now, in this example, that intersection point lies between 65% line and the 55% line. And it lies about two thirds of the way from 55% to 65%. So two thirds between 55% and 65%, that's a difference of 10. So two thirds of 10 is about 7%. So if we add 7% to 55, that's gonna give us 62%. So about 62%. And that's what we're gonna get for checkpoints four through seven. So we now know that checkpoints four through seven, we're gonna target 2,500. And then with an air temperature of two degrees Celsius and a pressure altitude of 8,500 feet, that's gonna give us an engine power setting of 62%. With this information, we can now determine the true airspeed for our fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh checkpoints to be 104 knots without wheel fairings installed in the aircraft and 111 knots with wheel fairings. How do we do this? Well, now we go to the best power cruise performance chart. So we first chart was the engine performance chart to get our engine power setting. Now we use the best power cruise performance to get our true airspeed. So again, if you're in the online ground school, please open up this lesson and we have this chart completely labeled out in step-by-step -step detail. So step one, we're gonna find again, our temperature of two degrees, draw a line up and find where it intersects our pressure altitude of 8,500. Then again, we're gonna draw a straight line all the way across, horizontal line all the way across to the right side of the chart. Step three, we're gonna draw an estimated diagonal line corresponding to our power engine power setting that we just got of 62%. So we can see diagonal lines of 55%, 65%, and 75%. And then there's a line for full throttle. So we want to look between 55% and 65%, again, about two thirds of the way. And we're gonna draw a diagonal line that is parallel to those two lines, but two thirds in between the two. That's gonna be like, we're making our own 62% line. And where that diagonal line that we just draw intersects our horizontal line we can at that intersection point we go straight down to the x-axis at the bottom on the right hand side and read off our true airspeed if we do that we get about 111 knots true airspeed but again there's a note on these charts for the cherokee warrior that says if you don't have wheel fairings you gotta subtract seven knots so if we subtract seven knots from 111 we get 104 knots that is if we don't have wheel fairings so we don't have wheel fairings our true airspeed is going to be 104 knots if we do it's going to be 111 knots quite the difference with just wheel fairings so anyways so that's the example of using chart like used by cherokee warriors okay 
Now let's do an example of what you might find on the FA written exam in a table format. I think also Cessnas use this sort of table format. So that's why you'll, you might see it on the FA written exam. So here on the FA written test, you will likely not be given a figure like the ones above for engine performance and best power cruise, but instead you will probably be given a table like the one in the figure below. So this is this is a figure from the FA Airman Testing Supplement. You'll see this on your FA written exam. You'll see this in the FA Testing Supplement download that you can get for free or you can buy on Amazon. Again, we have those all linked in the course. So using this table is pretty simple. You have the question will supply you with the given values for pressure altitude, air temperature, RPM, etc. If you read the line under the table heading, it states that 65% maximum continuous power, which means that this table of data is only for one specific engine power setting of 65% at an RPM of 2,450. So this table is very limited in a real life sense for cross country planning, but it is used by the FAA on the written test to simplify the test. This table assumes that you're flying at an engine power setting of 65% and an RPM of 2450 for all of these different settings. And then it tells you the true airspeed or the manifold pressure or the fuel flow per engine, depending on the temperature and pressure altitude. So we just have to find the temperature and pressure altitude and then find what it gives us for true airspeed. So these questions should be very straightforward. And usually the only difficult thing is making sure you aren't making any dumb mistakes. So let's do an example. But before we do that, I just kind of want to describe for those on the podcast that aren't seeing what this figure looks like, exactly what, what it looks like. It has three sections. So there's three squares, three different tables within the bigger table. There's an ISA minus 20 degrees. There's a standard day or ISA, which is international standard atmosphere, I believe, or ICAO standard atmosphere. I think it might be ICAO and then ICAO standard or ISA plus 20 degrees. So it has three different ranges for temperature. So again, it's very limited in that range as well, because what if you have, you know, your minus 10 degrees standard temperature for your altitude, you know, then you're going to have to interpolate between two of the tables, which we'll show you, although the FA written is not doing interpolation questions, but we might give you a, just a quick brief example of how you would do that. There's a table for each temperature. There's a, again, standard, minus 20 degrees Celsius standard and plus 20 degrees Celsius standard. Once you determine which table you're going to look at for in terms of temperature, you'll then look in the first column for the your pressure altitude. It goes sea level 2000, 4000, 6000, 8000, 10000, 12000, 14000, 16000. So you find your pressure altitude and then you'll look within that row for your pressure altitude and you'll look under the TAS or true airspeed line. It shows it in knots and miles per hour. We usually want the knots but on the FAA written exam you got to be careful because they the answer options abc you know answer options abc might be given in miles per hour or it might be given in knots or it might be a com the answer options might have a combination of both so you want to make sure to probably look at both right so for example for minus 20 degrees celsius from standard at 10,000 feet the true airspeed is listed as 160 knots or 184 miles per hour. I believe that is correct. Let me zoom in here. Yes, that that is correct. So 160 knots or 184 miles per hour for 10,000 feet at minus 20 degrees from standard temperature. So the FAA written might have 
you know, for their answer options, they might have some things to confuse you, right? They might have, they're going to have the, one answer is going to be right, obviously. So they might have 160 knots as one of the answer options, but then they might have 184 knots. So if you just look at the 184 miles per hour, you might select the answer that says 184 knots. You want to make sure that the units match up in your answer options with what's on the chart because they give the units in both knots and miles per hour. And it's the same thing. It equals the same amount. It's just different units, right? It's nautical miles per hour or knots, and then it's miles per hour, which is statue miles per hour. Okay, so let's do an example. Approximately what true airspeed would a pilot expect with 65% max continuous power at 8,000 feet with a temperature of 36 degrees Fahrenheit below standard? So I didn't mention this, but each of the tables for temperature, you know, standard minus 20 degrees Celsius and plus 20 degrees Celsius, it also tells you what that is in Fahrenheit. So it's minus 20 degrees Celsius is the same thing as minus 36 degrees Fahrenheit from standard and plus 20 degrees Fahrenheit or sorry, plus 20 degrees Celsius from standard is the same thing as plus 36 degrees Fahrenheit from standard. So the question might, they might tell you in terms of Fahrenheit or Celsius, but both are listed on the chart. So you don't have to memorize that or anything else. So we want to look for the 36 degrees Fahrenheit below standard table. That's going to be the one on the far left of the figure. And then we want to look for the column for pressure altitude. And we want to look for 8,000 feet. So we go down the column for pressure altitude to 8,000 feet. We find that row for 8,000 feet, and then we just follow it along. And if we wanted to, it, we could get the engine speed. We could get the manifold pressure. We could get the fuel flow per engine in PSI or gallons per hour. And then we could get the true airspeed in knots and miles per hour. So we want, in this example, we want true airspeed. So in knots, it's gonna be 157 knots. And in miles per hour, it's gonna be 181 miles per hour. So that's the answer. Again, be careful with your answer options. Make sure the units match knots and miles per hour and you don't get tricked by the FAA. I mentioned that you could find the manifold pressure there's or the fuel flow per engine. And there might be a question like this on your exam where it'd be the same thing. It'd be like on a standard day at 6,000 pressure altitude, standard day temperature, 6,000 feet pressure altitude. What is the fuel flow per engine? right? So you would look at the standard day temperature one. That's the table in the middle. You look at the 6,000 row for pressure altitude. You'd follow that over and you'd read off 11 and a half gallons per hour for your fuel flow per engine. So we can find, I've seen questions on manifold pressure. So you can just say it's the same exact thing. You just look in the manifold pressure column, or I've seen questions on fuel flow, or I've seen questions on true air so that's pretty simple. That's how you do it. Just again, be cognizant of the units when you do that on the exam. Now I do have a video here in the show notes. So be sure to, I'll put it in the show notes. Be sure to check that out. It's how to calculate true airspeed with cruise performance charts. Go step-by-step step how to do that. I'll put that in there for you guys. So with that said, I think that's all we're going to do today. It was a little bit of a longer episode and the reason I want to wait because the next one is a substantial lesson on ground speed and magnetic heading. So we're almost there. We're, we're getting, getting through these lessons and almost to the end of our section on cross country planning. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out team at parttimepilot.com. Remember if you leave a review on Apple podcasts or at trustpilot.com, 
Just search for Part-Time Pilot. If you leave a review, I'll read it off on the show. And if you have any questions that you want to be answered on the podcast, again, email us at team at Part-Time Pilot. Hit us up on Instagram or TikTok at Part Period Time Period Pilot or in our Facebook study group. Just search Part-Time Pilot Study Group. All right, guys. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you next week. Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is, you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times, and then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot now of course it's not that we're not thinking but it's that we understand things like weather aerodynamics what our instruments are telling us what atc is telling us we have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them and when we don't have to think about them we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations if we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time, fly a plane for the first time everything's great and dandy but once you get into you know bad weather flying or flying at heavy heavily trafficked airports or speaking with atc for bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight things get a little more advanced and when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts you're gonna hit a wall you're gonna start to get behind the aircraft and when this happens if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one -on -one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And, and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gain, the currency, the proficiency that you gain is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft they start making mistakes and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again and they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family they finally say you know what this has to stop we can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress you know and they end up quitting now so how do we avoid that well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience 
of this and I realize that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I just say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24-7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school. We have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring, you wanna avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic. Again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read. So read, for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step -step examples and the procedures that we have. Or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices, have that visual cue, those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding. Or you can watch our videos. Or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout, and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested in and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on Online Ground School, and we'll see you inside the Online Ground School. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.